Welcome to The Gods We Belong To, an urban fantasy noir podcast. The Gods We Belong To tells one continuous story in order, and it's important to start at the beginning. So, first timers, it's back to episode one for you. Now, my faithful friends, take a beat, take a breath, and let's check in with Alex. Chapter 7 Sleep brought no rest or peace, only dark and dreadful dreams. I kept seeing Odin's face twisted in savage ferocity. I saw him spreading his arms over a great battlefield, throngs of men falling on each other like rabid beasts, their eyes alive with joy and death, or wide with desperate terror. I heard the agonized screams of the dying, the sound of bones snapping, bodies breaking, even smelled the metallic bite of blood. I saw endless fields of the fallen, a feast for ravens and wolves. The gods stood behind this grotesque tableau, part spectator and part conductor, both stirring the frenzy and reveling in it. I awoke in agony, my face throbbing, the room a dizzy blur around me. The first thing I did was retch violently, mostly all over myself. The world slowly stopped spinning. I was lying on the table in Odin's hall with bandages on my head. Deja fucking vu. The gallows god was seated by the hearth, pipe cradled in his hand, taking deep draws and exhaling thick clouds of swirling smoke. Lovely he snarked. As if you weren't enough of a mess already. That was quite a beating you took, and that was just the appetizer. A mere foretaste of what your two playmates had in mind. I think it's safe to say that Michael's interest in you has rather sharpened. The eye I gave you is ruined, I'm afraid. You see, Alex, he said with a gallows chuckle, this is why we can't have nice things. I almost laughed, but a sudden surge of pain dug its talons into my head, and instead I just sort of grunted and whimpered. Closing my eyes seemed to keep the dizziness at bay, so I went with that. Well, I said shakily, glad to amuse, as I was glad to save your life, Alex, or does that not warrant gratitude? Your cheekbone would be ruined as well were I not such a talented healer. You're right, I conceded. Thank you, but you didn't look much like a healer back there. I suppose you would have preferred that I tried to talk them out of killing you. No, there are some problems that can only be solved with blood and death. Such things are not to be done lightly, but once undertaken, they are not to be done half-heartedly. There is either peace or there is frenzy, and I brook no middle ground. 
That fury you witnessed is native to me. It is my very core. In my earliest beginnings, there was only the raging storm and the terrible ecstasy it brought me to unleash that tempest amongst mortals. Stirring them up to revelry, poetry, or slaughter, I cared not which. But soon I was seeded with a thirst for understanding. A need which drove me to seek wisdom and to sacrifice much in the search. Over long centuries I have learned to keep the rage in check, within bounds, and now it is mine to channel as I wish. Several human lifetimes have passed since I fanned the flames of war among your kind. Still, it never leaves me. Even chained, the beast is ever-present and ever-ravenous. I fear one day it may slip those chains and run free, and now... Now you have seen it for yourself. I was speechless and only partly out of pain. What I'd seen, the way he tore those half-breeds apart, it wasn't just how he killed them, it was the sheer bloody ecstasy of it. And yet here he was, caring for me, tending my wounds, saving my life. I continued to say nothing for several awkward seconds until finally... Odin broke the silence. You know, Alex, the power in that eye released into you the way it was. That would have killed most mortals. I'd say you should count yourself lucky. Lucky, indeed, but given where I found you, most definitely not smart. Was I not sufficiently clear in my warnings to avoid further contact with Elizabeth Bettany? Did I not caution you to resist your longings? I am not all-seeing, despite the stories, nor all-powerful, and while I may take extraordinary measures to save your life, I cannot save you from your own persistent stupidity. You were seduced and played for a fool. Clearly, your role as an investigator has been compromised. After you recover, I want you to stay away from Michael, the Church of Individuality, and especially, most especially, from Elizabeth Bettany. Consider her off-limits for your own good. Okay, what the hell is it about this chick? You're a god and you talk about her like she scares you. I was surprised at my own boldness, but in the past several hours I'd been fucked mind and body, beaten senseless, terrified, and traumatized in ways that years of therapy wouldn't even begin to touch, so I guess I was just past caring. You're right, Alex. I have not been entirely honest with you. I have not shared the extent of my suspicions. But now that those suspicions have become certainties, you have a right to know. Elizabeth Bettany is a lie, Alex. She does not exist, or rather she is simply a mask worn by one once a friend and now no friend at all. A companion only of misery and grief my blood brother, Loki. His words went off like an atom bomb in my fragile head. But, but if she's not, I mean, I mean, if he was, and then if we, yes. But that means that I, yes. Why didn't you stop me? 
I yelled with way more volume and force than I thought I had in me. You tear men apart to save my life, but you can't be bothered to pop in and say, Hey, Alex, maybe don't fuck that god. He almost chuckled. I'm sorry, I do not mean to laugh. I did save your life, Alex. I can't do everything for you, and frankly his power clouds my perception, which is why I've been unable to see the fictional Miss Bettany for what she was. That explains your headaches, not to mention the fly. It's also why you likely don't remember much of last night. You were quite literally under his spell. And it may comfort you somewhat to know that Loki's shifting of genders is seamless and complete. His physical form that of a woman from head to toe, inside as well as out. He once became a buxom young girl to play decoy for an elaborate deception of ours. <laughs> His ruse worked so well that he ended up pregnant and had to remain female for nine months until he delivered. In the stories, he becomes a horse. But then, those are stories. Pregnant? Wait, he can get pregnant? You, you don't think we... Doubtful, Alex. Loki is not quite as reckless as he used to be and I don't think getting knocked up by a semi-reputable detective is part of his grand plan. No, his sights are set clearly on Michael. But to what end? The great angel himself seems quite unaware of the deception, and I must admit I'm rather tempted to step back and watch it play out. Loathsome as Loki might be, I have no excess of love for Michael. And if this is a dance that only one of them can survive, then I am at peace with either outcome. Not to derail the crazy train, but is there any chance I could get cleaned up and maybe some of that magic brew you gave me last time? I was nowhere near okay with any of this, but I knew I wasn't going to find any clarity in my current pathetic and painful state. Of course, I expected you would require some refreshment. He motioned towards a wooden tub to my left, filled with steaming hot water. Odin placed a tied bundle of herbs and twigs into the tub, and the room was filled with the scent of pine, mint, and eucalyptus. I stripped off my bile and blood-spattered clothes, staggered over to the tub, and slid in. It was hot, but not painful, and the herbs smelled bright, clean, and sharp. I washed as best I could, taking care not to get my bandages wet. Then I sat and soaked in the fragrant water, with dark, strange thoughts careening around my mind like a flock of panic-stricken birds. There was simply no way to wrap my head around what I'd just learned. The waters were too deep, and all I could do was try not to sink into insanity. I was mentally paddling for all I was worth when Odin brought me another cup of Baldur's Bliss, which tastes so foul but feels so fair. Soon I was feeling no pain at all. Even the knowledge that I had been seduced and bedded by none other than Loki seemed more like a curious misadventure than a deeply traumatic mindfuck. Thank the gods for good drugs. Once I had steeped sufficiently, Odin motioned toward the pile of clothing on the long table. I popped into your apartment and grabbed a few things. All your clothes look alike, so I just took whatever smelled least offensive. He did have a point. More than one, to be fair. My closet was essentially a collection of jeans and monochromatic t-shirts, and it had been a good while since I'd done any laundry. 
I dried off, gratefully slipped on the fresh clothes, and made my way to a seat by the fire across from my host, where I found a brimful horn of mead awaiting me on the table. Never one to turn down such gracious hospitality, I hoisted the horn and took several deep gulps. Now about that eye, Odin said. The orb itself is demolished, but the power I placed within it seems to have taken refuge in you. Simply put, you are absorbing it. This is a process without precedent, and I'd be lying if I said I knew with any certainty how it will affect you. But chances are it will impact your senses first, and not just vision. You have likely experienced this already. Yeah, I interjected. Back at Elizabeth's place, the, the half-breeds, they smelled like honeysuckle, and I could hear them talking in some crazy language. Enochian, Alex. The language Michael and his minions speak is called Enochian. Hopelessly clunky-sounding language, no poetry to it at all. But yes, that is the sort of thing I mean. And I sure as hell saw that beast of yours. Looked like a giant wolf, like a, a much bigger, much angrier version of the wolves I saw at your feet. Gary and Freaky. Ravenous and greedy. My fury personified. I made pets of them to better keep the beast at bay, just as I made Hugen and Munin to give thought and memory greater freedom, greater reach. They are parts of me, as distinct as I wish them to be, but when I let the wolves slip their bonds, when I have dire need of fury and ferocity, then the beast is unleashed. It is, as you saw, a grim thing to behold. The poets gave it a name, but I will not speak it. It means he who dwells in the marshes. Such naive joy it must have been to think the beast dwelt without. Odin laughed softly, bitterly. As long as you seem to be in a sharing mood, I said, emboldened by potion and strong drink. Tell me about Loki. Now there's a topic, Odin rasped, exhaling smoke as he did. I have known Loki for almost as long as I have known myself, and yet there is still much about him that will ever be enigma. We first met when I was very young, and just beginning my search for knowledge. Odin stared off into the distance as he spoke, smiling sadly at what he saw there. He was, and remains, the cleverest being I have ever known. At first I thought him wise, for in my youth I did not yet understand the difference. He had a mind like formless fire, quick, bright, hungry, eager but also heedless of consequence and gleeful in mayhem. Still, Loki is nothing if not charming. You have experienced this for yourself, and for many centuries I called him brother. We shared grand adventures, elaborate schemes, even our blood. His sharp wit was a welcome companion, and his guile got us out of almost as many scrapes as it got us into. So what changed? A fine question, 
The gallows god snorted an ironic half-laugh, devoid of mirth. Perhaps Loki changed. Or perhaps I was simply blind to his true nature from the beginning. I inclined towards the latter. I always knew he was a cunning and deceitful creature. Still, I told myself he was subversive, irreverent, a sort of cosmic jester. And all that is true. But it wasn't long before he showed the full extent of his twisted malice. And even then, even after Balder, after Loki's treachery took my son, I could not bring myself to kill him. As I said, we are bonded by blood, and that is no small thing. I did, however, disembowel his favored son in front of him and bind Loki in a deep, dark, viper-infested cave with his brat's own intestines. He remained there for nearly three hundred years until an earthquake freed him. Wow, I stammered. When you go dark, you really go dark. Alex, I make no claims to benevolence, but you must understand. Loki is transgression itself, the breaking of every rule, the upending of all order. He is the echo of primal chaos, that shifting darkness out of which the universe emerged and into which it will inevitably sink only to rise again. That is the cycle, the serpent eating its own tail, and Loki is the piper, ever luring existence closer to the void. We sat in silence for a few minutes as I tried, with limited success, to wrap my head around this whole cosmic cycle of creation and destruction thing. I downed another horn of mead. Can't say it did much for my level of comprehension, just made it bother me a little less. So if that's really what Loki's all about, then what's he up to with Michael? I asked, hoping to bring the conversation back to Earth, even if only a little bit. Is this some grand end-of-the-world master plan? It could be, Odin said almost offhandedly. Loki is nothing if not unpredictable. Just as likely to pull a rude prank as he is to burn your world and dance among the ashes. Great, so anything from a whoopee cushion to an atom bomb. Essentially, yes. I think he simply fails to see the difference, as though life itself were merely another pretense to be laid low, another stuffed shirt to be mocked. Never reveal to him a single thing you hold dear, for he will seek to ruin it however he can. Sounds like you speak from experience. He paused and drew deeply on his pipe before continuing. There was a girl. Of course, there always is. I have known no shortage of lovers over the centuries, but only a very few have been anything more than diversion. Her name was Lofen, a humble fisherman's daughter from the Lofoten Islands in Norway, and despite my best efforts, I fell in love with her. She was a beautiful and joyful companion, a refuge from the world and my own kind when I needed it most. And when all was said and done, 
she was the mother of my child. Despite the affection I had for her, it is not in my nature to settle down and live a mortal man's life. But I watched both her and our child from a distance, helping and protecting them when I could. The child, our daughter Astrid, grew to be even more beautiful than her mother, and I took great joy in her progress. Sadly, it was that joy, that pride in my own flesh and blood, that opened the door for Loki. I boasted too loudly and too often, and one night, when I was distracted, Loki visited Astrid in the shape of a handsome young traveler. He lured her away from family and friends, and seduced her through guile and magic, just as he did you. I can still see the bright fire of malice in his eyes as he detailed his conquest, bragged to me of how he defiled my daughter, and worse, left her with his child growing inside her. Astrid gave birth to a boy, Loki's son, my grandson. What happened to him? I asked. They raised him. Astrid, Lofen, and her husband, who had himself raised a child, not his own. Sounds like a good guy. Did he know who Astrid's real father was? No. Nor did Lofen. I do not, as a rule, reveal myself to mortals. You, Alex, are exceptional. Thanks. Odin paused and took several more draws off his pipe filling the air with thick, sweet-smelling smoke. He stared off into space with his one bright eye lost in thought. In the distance I heard the rumbling of storm clouds followed by a deafening crack of thunder. Odin sat up with urgent energy. It's been long enough. Your eye, the work I did, needed time to settle. Now I can complete the task. Then we're going to talk to one of the few who knows Loki better than I. It's time to visit my son. Your son? I replied, unsure. Which one? Overhead, another explosion of thunder. This has been The Gods We Belong To, Episode 7. The Gods We Belong To is written, performed, edited, and produced by Dan Goldstein. Theme music is I'll Drive by Daniel Birch. Additional episode music, Metal Drone, Say It Again, I'm Listening, Roaming the Streets at Night, Fugue and Death Comes to Us All by Daniel Birch. The True Entity of Life by Daniel Birch and Ben Egley. And Synchronicity by Unheard Music Concepts. If you enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word. Tell a friend. Better yet, tell lots of friends. 
You can even tell an enemy if you want. Post, tweet, shout from an open window. Five-star reviews are particularly helpful and appreciated. However you do it, thank you. You can find the show on Twitter at Gods We Belong To. We're taking a few weeks off to get the second half of Season 1 polished and ready to go, but we'll be back soon. So, until then, as always, don't do anything Alex would